I take this moment to turn our attention to your word, turn our attention to you. I pray, Lord God, that everyone in this room and everyone watching at home or wherever they're watching would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. I pray that all distractions would go away, would fade into the distance, and that we could dwell circumspectly on you and your voice. Teach us today. Encourage us today, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and everybody said, Amen. Trusting in the name of God in the day of trouble. When we've been doing Psalms, um, going through the Psalms, well, I was going to put a timer on me, but I'll just preach an hour and a half. Y'all don't care. Uh, and I, I haven't done a consecutive psalm yet, except until today. I started looking at what what psalm that we would look at next. We have no intention of doing all 150 psalms. Uh, I couldn't get past Psalm 20. You know, last week we did Psalm 19, and I just kept, I kept going to other psalms and I kept coming back to 20. And uh, and so in a moment, you probably guessed I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 20 if you want to go ahead and get ahead of the game. Uh, and I'll start off by saying this. If you never experience trouble or distress, then this message is not for you. Any of you at home, I mean, you go back to sleep if this doesn't apply to you. And that obviously is a facetious statement because if you're breathing, you have some measure of issues from time to time. You may be doing great right now, but your future holds a day when you have a challenge. James said, count it all joy when you find yourself in a fiery trial. Peter said, don't think it a strange thing when you go through challenging times. And so, but if you do experience issues like that, then you can rest today in the power and the authority of God's name. I pray that this is an encouraging word. It's not so much a teaching word, although there are probably some teaching involved. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will encourage you and encourage me today to lean into and lean on God and his name. And we'll get to that. And, of course, in so doing, we must examine the target of our trust. We must examine. And this is something that's good for us to do often, not just once a year or when we've heard a sermon, but it's good for us to re-examine the target of our trust. And so if you haven't already, you would turn to Psalm 20. We're going to read, obviously, all nine verses. And for those of you in the room or those of you at home as well, if you would stand while we read the Scripture. And I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version, and it reads, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Some versions there may say counsel. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. 
May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. You can be seated. i got to set this up, and we're obviously going to call this first section friends because this psalm is, is basically the congregation singing or declaring encouragement and support to the king. Now, we're going to change that in a moment, so just hang on there. But David was most likely, he wrote the psalm, but they're singing it to him. Most likely he's going into battle at some at this point. Most likely he's preparing for his challenge that they describe, that's described in verse one as the day of trouble. And there, the congregation is from them to David about God. They're singing to David about God. I want us to change that today. Bible says that all of us are a kingdom of priests. So I want you to hear this psalm as as it applies to you and me. I want us to hear this psalm that somebody is praying for you. I wish Ricky was here. I'd get him to sing the song. Somebody's praying. He's probably singing it at his house right now. But some I want you to hear this psalm that someone or a bunch of someones is praying for you. It, it applies to David, it applies to him being the king, but it also applies to you. I want you to hear it from supporting friends to you about God. I was reminded, and we talked about it Wednesday night at our home group, the verse at the end of Job, after Job's gone through all he's gone through, and the, near the end of the book, it reads this, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. I don't have a slide for that, William. When he had prayed for his friends, listen, don't, don't miss that. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Keep in mind, these weren't ideal friends. He goes on to say, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What precipitated this? He prayed for his friends. We always say, I'll pray for you, brother. Well, sometimes we mean that and sometimes we don't. But I think in a lot of cases we do, and we pray for people. We we have a sort of a network, email network at Abundant Life Church. If you're not on it, let us know. And when someone sends in a prayer request, it goes out, and I guarantee you that there's a lot of people praying. And there's people that look at it and say, that's nice, and they don't pray. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are going to pray for you when they know you have an issue. And they said in uh, in verse 1, may the Lord answer you, which means there's a request being made. May the Lord answer you in your time of trouble, in your day of trouble. If, if you wonder, now we're not, when we say trouble, we're not talking about when our iPhone battery goes dead. That's a first world problem. We're talking, here you go, if you look, if you dig into the Hebrew word that David uses there, I don't remember what it is, wouldn't, I probably couldn't pronounce it anyway, but it gives the idea of adversity, 
affliction, anguish, distress. That goes beyond a dead iPhone battery. Of adversity, affliction, anguish, and distress. When you're dealing with something like that, then you need some help. And they said, we won't, we pray that the Lord would answer you in your day of anguish and distress and affliction. Now for you musician type singers, songwriters, I give you this next slide so that you can relate. Those truly are difficult times. <laughs> yeah, Bill Hullett can write a chart for that. If you don't know what that means, then ask some of these musician people. They'll explain it to you. Uh, by the way, there's T-shirts for that, guys and girls. You can get you some. Trouble. When we when we talk about difficult times, thank God we're thinking about, talking about more than that. I, I can't even relate to that, and I play the guitar. So anyway, we're talking about something that's going to challenge us. In the case of David, it was the battle that he was preparing for. It was where he was going into to a situation that was going to be adversity and anguish and distress. For you, it could be any number of things. Let me tell you, saints, there's people in our church family, some of them here, some of them at home, that are going through things right now that would just make chills go down your spine. They're going through things right now that are challenging them to the bone. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. That's not what I'm talking about. I'll leave that alone. We'll get into opinions, and we don't need to do opinions. But other issues that people are going through, trouble. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that you have people who will pray for you. And they'll pray for you to have help from God. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And may the name of God, that Jacob, protect you. May he send you help. Help from God. We're, when we talk about help, we're talking about undergirding support. Something that holds you up. Something that supports you. That's the help that we're talking about. Psalm 121 obviously is the hallmark verse or verses for that. I will lift up. Everybody say up. See, when you're in the trouble, when you're in the mess, lift your eyes up out of that. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I love it that he throws in that last, by the way, your help comes from the Lord, and oh, by the way, it's the God who made heaven and earth. Not a puny God, not a weakling God, not an unable God, but a God, the God, who made heaven and earth. That's the God that helps you. Don't hear this as spiritual platitudes. Don't hear this as ethereal nonsense. Hear this as the promise from God. He says, may the name of God help you. We talk about the name of God. We say that his name and his character are inseparable. You cannot divide God from his name. You cannot divide God from who he is. His name is connected to his person, to his presence, and to his power. When you, when you 
uh, consider the name of God, you must consider his power. You can't separate it. I'm going to pick on Bill Hullett for a minute. You can say Bill Hullett all day long, but you can't play the guitar like he does. Nobody can really, but anyway, you can say, I'm going to be Bill Hullett. Well, I could try being Bill Hullett till the cows come home. Told you I grew up in redneck. Anyway, but, un- but unless I'm Bill Hullett, I can't play the guitar like that. And I could go through it auditorium and do that over and over again. You can't separate God from his power. And when you say the name of God, you're connecting to his power. I don't mean name it and claim it. I mean, I mean declaring God's name as power and presence. God is self-existent. He's not dependent on anyone else for his existence. The name of God. Not only is God self-existent, he is eternal in his existence. He always has been, and he always will be. If your God is not always has been and always will be, you have the wrong God. If your God is not self-existent, needing no one else, you have the wrong God. I got a suspicion that just about everybody listening to me this morning has the God who is self-existent and eternal. You can say it this way. The Lord's name is shorthand for all that he has revealed about himself. The Lord's name tells us what he wants us to know about him. Contained in his name is the sum total of all that he is. The sum total of all that he is is the name of our God. God's name communicates the authority that goes along with his name. I don't know how I'm going to use this example, but I keep coming back to it. And it's been a little while since you've heard uh, an example from the Andy Griffith show from me. So, (laughs) Barney Fife is being challenged by a couple of farmers who are selling within the city limits, and he's trying to tell them they can't do it. And, of course, it goes to it. But at the final episode, the final scene, He's telling these farmers they got to leave. They can't sell within the city limits. That's against all the merchants get upset. So these two guys are threatening him. Or he, and, and, of course, they make the camera work. Does a, They make it look like these guys are this tall, and they're not. You know, they're about not much taller than him. But he finally tells them. You know, they can get right up in his face like they're going to. He says, you guys are a lot bigger than me. You could take me without any problem. But do you see that badge? There's something behind that badge. And it's the authority. When you see the name of God, I want you to see the authority that goes with that name. I, I don't even want to say God's name is his badge because that's, to me, that's too diminishing. But his name communicates his authority. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, may the God of Jacob... Now, why would he bring up Jacob? Why would he mention Jacob? Why not Abraham? Why not Isaac? Why not a a whole list? The God of Jacob, let me read it. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. God of Jacob. Jacob had a dream. In the dream, he saw a ladder with angels climbing up, climbing down, up and down constantly. 
And when he awoke, he knew something had happened. This was not due to too much pizza or hot dogs. This was an actual communication from God. Genesis 28 tells us, he said, behold, God says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back in this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God speaking to Jacob. Jacob woke up and he named that place Bethel. It was actually called Luz and later on it became Bethel, but he named that spot Bethel. Bethel, the word Bethel means house of God. And he was at a place in his life when he was close to God. Now, fast forward a few chapters, and he is dealing with issues due to his own deception to his brother and some decisions that he made. Uh, he paid, he, he worked seven years for a bride. He got the wrong one. He had to work another seven years to get the right one. All the trouble that he's gone through. And then his sons find out that a man has violated their sister. And so they deceive these folks and wind up murdering all of them. And Jacob is upset because they handled it the wrong way. And it says, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble. Everybody say trouble. You brought trouble on me by making me stink. That's what it says. I'm sorry. I think the King James actually says that to the inhabitants of the land. Some versions say odious. Some versions say obnoxious. We'll just stay with stink. You made, you brought trouble by doing this the wrong way. And then watch this people. Then Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. There's a clue. Somewhere along the way, he's at the house of God, but somewhere along the way, his entourage, his family, the people who are with him began to worship and at least have foreign gods. And, all, and he said, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. We can see the relation there that we would... Repent of our sin and allow him to wash us clean. And he said, then let us arise and guess where we're going. We're going up to Bethel. So that I may make there an altar to the God worship who answers me in the day of my distress. And has been with me wherever I have gone. You've been around long enough. You've probably heard a sermon entitled Back to Bethel. And this is what he's saying. We're going back. We're going back to the place that is called the house of God. We're going to go back to where we should be. We're going to get rid of the foreign gods. We're going to get some good, some clean garments. We're going to that place because God helps me in my time of trouble. God helps me in my distress. And the congregation is singing to David, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. By the way, protect you is really a word that means to set you on high, lift you up, the name of God. And then he says, then they sing to him, may he send you help from the sanctuary. It's easy to see here that the sanctuary is where the presence of God, it wasn't that day, where the presence of God is. 
Obviously, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now, so the presence of God is with us. But the presence of God brings the help. It's the Spirit of God that brings the help. We'll probably do Psalm 73 at some point, but Asaph is having a bad day, and he sees all of the good things happening to the wicked people of his day, and he's complaining. You know, God, why do you let that happen to me? And that that doesn't happen to them. Why do they get a blessing and I don't get a blessing? He's whining like a lot of us do. And then in verse 16, it says, when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. This is one of the Psalms that is not written by David, Psalm 73. And then he said, until. Everybody say until. Until. I didn't hear anybody from home. Everybody say it again. Okay. I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. Can I tell you that the presence of God will change the way you see? Whatever you're dealing with, whatever issue you're seeing in front of you, whatever trouble or distress you might be facing, whatever questions you may have in the presence of God. You don't have to wait to come to church to do this, by the way. I don't know how many times I've recommended the book, Practicing the Presence of God. When you're in God's presence, you see differently. And Asaph did. He said, oh, I understand now. I see what I couldn't see before. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. It's in God's presence where we see. It's in God's presence where we find his help. It's in God's presence when we realize he's helping us. And before we we didn't even know it. They sing to him, uh, your, uh, your burnt offerings. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, your, your offerings in his presence. May he remember you worshiping him. The writer of Hebrews tells us that through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks or acknowledges to his name, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips, whether we're in here, whether you're in your car, whether you're whatever you're doing, if you're offering sacrifices of praise, the the fruit of your lips giving thanks to God, then that's praise to God. And they're saying to you, your friends are saying to you, may he remember those. Now, that's not, I've told you before, God does not have a memory problem. It it doesn't mean remember in the sense that he forgot about it, but remember in the sense that he, he honors what you've done, that you've lifted up praise and worship. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Answered prayer. May he grant you. May he grant your heart's desire. This is your friend praying for you. May he grant you your heart's desire. You've heard me say before that uh, this is not a license. This is not. How many of you remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog? Well, a few hands went up. Sears and Roebuck catalog was about that thick. And every late summer, fall, we would get our hand on that some of you don't remember when it was in Sears and Roebuck. That just occurred to me because it's been Sears for so long. 
that's another story. <laughs> you would take the Sears and Roebuck catalog and you crack that thing open and you go through page by page by page and you say, that's what I want for Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas. We kidded a couple of our sons. Uh, they just handed us the catalog, so I want something in there. I mean, you know, anything, all everything in there. But you would go through the Sears and Roebuck catalog and you would identify what you want and you'd tell your parent, this is what I want, and hopefully that's what you got for Christmas. When I say God's going to give us our heart's desire, there is no Sears and Roebuck catalog. It's not a what it is. I'm quit saying what it is, and I'm going to say what it is. What it is is when we are in God's presence, our desires are his desires. Well, only one amen on that, okay? It's his desires. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We used to to hear people preach that meant a Cadillac in every garage when Cadillacs were a big deal. And what we got to remember is that when you do delight yourself in God, when you do become ensnared with God himself, guess what happens? Your heart's desires are shaped by his desires. You don't become a spoiled child. He'll grant your heart's desires. He'll fulfill your plans. And he'll save the commissioned one. Now, that's an interesting uh, word there in uh, in verse 6. Now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. It, the word there is Mashiach which is where we get our word Messiah. And I, I think it does apply to Jesus. It does apply to David, the king. But I want to tell you, I'm not saying that anybody in this room is the Messiah. Don't get me wrong. Those of you watching at home, replay back up and play it again. Because I'm not saying that we're the Messiahs, but I'm saying that that word means the commissioned one. If you have begun your journey with Jesus Christ, if you're following him, you have been commissioned for whatever it is he's put your hand to. And remembering that when he says save the anointed, that we're, we have to remember that salvation begins at the born-again experience. It doesn't end. Salvation begins when we come to Christ and he changes us for the rest of our lives. He's saving us from ourselves. For the rest of our lives, he's saving us from demonic oppression. For the rest of our lives, he's saving us in the, in the realm of healing and provision. For the rest of our lives, we're being saved. I told you that my parents gave me a C.I. Schofield Bible when I was 17 years old. I still have it. I still disagree with a lot of C.I. Schofield, but that's a whole different issue. But one of the things he said in, in his notes in that Bible that struck me, he said, we have been saved and we are being saved and we will be saved. So when he says that he will save the anointed one, it's not just being born again, although that's the greatest thing that ever happened to any of us. Saved the commissioned one. And then he talks about trusting in. We sing this song sometimes. Trusting in chariots and horses. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. 
How would you describe chariots and horses to us here and those at home? I think it's earthly solutions or solutions of our own making. I think it's when we devise a scheme to solve the problem in front of us. You know, it's a simple thing, and and I forget it as often as anybody else, but it's a simple thing when you're facing a challenge, when you're facing a distress, when you're facing an issue and you don't know what to do. Some of you watch the midweek video. It's an easy thing to say, God, hey, God, will you show me what I need to do here? I bet a bunch of you have had the experience of losing something, losing your car keys or your phone or your child. <laughs> now, I hope in all three instances you prayed, Lord, show me where they are. Almost all of us have had that experience. Lord, I don't know where it is. Would you just show me? Direct me to where I dropped my keys. Direct me to where... And a bunch of you could get up here and testify that within minutes you were, you were picking it up, whatever it was. What a simple thing for us to do. Instead of trying to, to come up with some solution on our own and create something that solves our problem, instead of trying to find some earthly solution. Now, God uses earthly solutions, but let's start with asking God. I know that's complicated, but boy, it works. You know why it works? Because the name of God is is backed by his authority and his wisdom and his revelation and his care for you. Sometimes uh, uh, chariots and horses can be reasoning and rationale. Well, this makes sense to me. I want to tell you, I'm trying to figure what word to use here. I want to tell you that when I hear those words, that makes sense to me. Most of the time, I think somebody needs to be seeking God a little more. I'm, I'm not saying God told us to put our brains in neutral. He didn't. I didn't say God t- told us to be idiots. He didn't, although some of us act that way. But what I'm saying to us is just because it might make sense to me doesn't mean that's what God's after. Doesn't mean that my rationale is what God is after. Doesn't mean that. By the way, it's not wrong to reason. It's not wrong to have rationale. It's not wrong. You just can't put your trust in that. He said, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. The name of the Lord. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. Some versions there will say run into it and are safe. Name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, the people who are in right standing, not those who are perfect, but those who are in right standing with God, will run to his name. Why? I already covered that. The name of our God is connected to our God. The name of God communicates who he is and all that he is. We need to remember that we trust in the Lord, not the outcome. Too often we wait for the outcome to determine 
whether we're going to trust God or not. I want to encourage you to trust God regardless of the outcome. Because you might think that this outcome was the right one, but God might think this outcome is the right one. And it doesn't make sense to you, but it makes sense to God. Trust God. I don't know how many times you've heard me say, have faith in God, period. We want to have faith in God and the things that God does. We, have, we want to have faith for our finances. We want to have faith for healing. We want to have faith for miracles. We want to have faith for relationships. All of those are extremely important. But don't have faith in what God does. Have faith in God. And then what he does will amaze you. And he, then he says this, and I don't think it's an arrogant term. He says, they, who's the they? Those who trust in chariots and horses. They collapse and fall. Now, I don't think he's wagging his finger, and I don't think he's nanny nanny boo-booing them. I think he's just identifying that those who put their trust in chariots and horses and earthly solutions and things that we have come up with on our own and with our own rationale, if we put our trust in those things, that we will fall. I don't think he's, but he, but he goes right on ahead and he says, now, but those who trust in the name of the Lord, they stand upright. They stand upright. They're, they're supported by God, by the God whose name we trust. Supported. And then the very last thing he says is this. Oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. I thought about that a lot. I looked at some commentaries. I went back to the statement that the commentaries, I mean, the Bible sheds a lot of light on the commentaries. And I, I, I felt like the Lord showed me this. Here's what, it's just, it's pretty simple. Usually when the Lord shows me something, it's simple. Lord save the king, and when we call, may he answer us. In other words, may he, may he survive. May he be standing upright. May he have endured and come through the trouble to such degree that when we call to him, he answers us. Have you ever called someone or called on someone who's going through trouble and they don't call you back? Or they don't respond to your communication and you know it's because they're defeated by their circumstances. When you see this as a personal song and you see people who are praying for you and they call out to you, may you have the grace to say to them, I'm right here. I'm here. Save the king. May he, may you answer. May you be able to answer when you face the trouble. May you be able to answer when you face the distress. May it not defeat you. I want to tell you that whatever you face, it does not have to defeat you. It's all about our response. Again, Wednesday night we were studying our home group and we read where the Jesus was asleep 
on the boat. And the disciples, they went and woke him up. I'm sure he was happy about that because they had a storm going on. And then we flipped over to Mark's version of the same event. And in Mark's version, Mark records it, which we think we're pretty sure that's Peter's version. Don't you even care what's happening to us? That's what they told Jesus after they woke him up. I'd been saying, don't you care that I was sleeping and you came away? Don't you care what happens to us? Instead of, we're, as long as you're in the boat with us, we're doing pretty good. Can I tell you this morning that no matter what you go through, no matter what challenges you're facing, as long as Jesus is in your boat, and if you've been born again by the Spirit of God and translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, he's in your boat. You may think he's sleeping, but Jesus can do more sleeping than you can awake. <laughs> Don't let the circumstances defeat you. I'm preaching to me just as much as I am to you. I have homework for you. The first, um, what, what do I have? What slide do I have next, William? Oh, yeah. Well, there's the homework. For one thing, read Psalm 21. We're not going to cover it here. Psalm 21 is a continuation of Psalm 20. It's just, it's connected. I didn't figure, you know, we made a joke about I had 17 hours worth of battery on my microphone. And William said, don't tell a preacher he's got 17 hours worth of microphone. (laughs) But when you get home, or if you're bored, do it now. uh, Read Psalm 21, because it's just a continuation of what we're talking about. The other, and you see it up there, the other is to read the July monthly pastoral letter from Charles Simpson. It's entitled, Lessons from Controversy and Chaos. (laughs) And there, for those of you in the room, there are copies of this out in the lobby on the table on the left and the table on the right. There should be more than enough copies for everybody. And take it home with you and read it. For those of you at home, I can't hand this to you. They can on Star Trek, but I hadn't figured out how to do that yet. But you see the address there. If you'll, do, and those of you in the room can do this too. If you'll just go to csmpublishing.org, click on monthly, I mean publications, then monthly pastoral letter, and you'll see the title, uh, Lessons from Controversy and Chaos. And you can print it out or read it online or whatever. So your two elements of homework are to read Psalm 21 and then to read the monthly letter from Charles Simpson entitled Lessons from Controversy and Chaos. And let all of that minister to you in context of Psalm 20. Is that okay with you? I sure hope so. Stand with me. Yep. Sure, y'all come on up. Worship team, come on up. Absolutely. 
I'll go ahead and pray while they're getting ready. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. And I pray that the word of God today has become alive to us. And it's active in our lives. And that you would minister this word to us. That we could walk out of here. People who answer the call. And put our trust in the name of our God. And not in our circumstances. And not in the outcome. We bless you. We honor you today in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, let's join with the worship team this morning. I have a feeling I know what they're going to do. Some men trust in horses. Yeah, hey, I figured that was That's good. <laughs> Some men trust in horses. Some men trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. In the name of Jesus, sins are washed away. We sing to King of Joys of King, our anthem he raised. Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Sing it with me, come on. Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God, in the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, sins are washed away. We sing for joy to God, our strength, His banner we raise. Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Some men trust in horses, some men trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Amen. You're dismissed.